Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. And now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host from MIG Studios. Thank you for being here. We're excited to have you. Uh, don't forget, you can go to thehousinghour.com and find out more about our show, our, our great series that we've created. You can find us there at thehousinghour.com and um, find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thehousinghour. You can find us on Twitter at thehousinghour. You can find us on uh, Pinterest at Mark Griffith. Hmm. So we have all of those different channels. How's the pinning going? Well, Tom and I are pinning back you, and forth. Yeah, Tom's pinned for a long time. Tom's pinned before Pinterest is even <laughs> available. But we have Tom White in with us. I don't even think he needs an introduction, but I will introduce him. He works, um, he is self-employed. What's the name of your company, by the way? TFW Appraisal Service, just my initials. Okay. Um, you speak closer to the mic so that people can hear your incredible voice. But Tom is an appraiser, has been one for quite some time, and he has um, been an invaluable uh, resource for us to talk about home values. And uh, he really helped us introduce to you the markets within markets and discussing, you know, what does really the home value of each individual market look like and, and, and how to determine what that trend is. So there's been a lot of things that we've talked about um, over the years, and he's been one of our guests that has been a staple of the housing hour. So we want to thank him for coming in, first hey, of all. I enjoy it and every we, time. Being that this is his first MIG Studios experience, so far mm. what do you think? Is it more laid back? It's got better views. Yeah, you know, there you go. There you go. Yeah, there's sure. a mountains uh, back in the background there. Um, so, Tom, um, what was the last time Tom was on? It's been it was, six it was, months more or more. It was back now. in the summer. Yeah, summer had been that long then, about maybe six months. Um, home values have not declined, I would assume, since then. But talk to me just in more of an overview. What's really happened since the last time we spoke? I would say that. The markets have um, appreciated further. Um, you know, certain markets have appreciated better than other markets. Um, what you're seeing now is, is you're seeing the uh, upper income homes starting to move again. Uh, so That's the days on markets of those homes are, are trending down. <clears throat> so, um, you know, the lower end markets are always going to be um, pretty hot. Um but right now you're seeing uh, two things happen. You're seeing um, the investment real estate come back. Uh, you're seeing lake homes come back, and you're seeing the higher-end markets come back. <clears throat> and, and generally when you see that, um, you know that, um, that the market is really good. So is it a situation where there have been a lot of, there's been a lot of people that haven't really taken the step to buy that. Cause that 600, well, I really, I guess it goes around 450, 500 or something. I don't know if there's a segmented market, but you had mentioned to us the last time or the time before what, that that price range was, I mean, it was still selling. Well, let's talk was, about credit. Yeah. You guys love to talk about credit. Mm -hmm. You know, um, 
I was discussing the other night with my son. We always get into about an hour long discussion at night, and my wife tends to leave the room. Mm-hmm. He's he, he's uh, in high school, and and we talked about the revolutions, the industrial revolution, and and I told him that you know he named about four or five revolutions over the past three hundred years, and I said, well, you're not really talking about one of them and he said which one was that and i said that's the credit revolution Mm. i said preach brother you know um a long time ago people had to pay cash or they had to barter Mm. um there really wasn't a credit extended to people to really pump up the gdp of nations that's a real good point i said so when the federal reserve was was created um it helped banks it helps banks stabilize. It allowed them to extend credit to people that had never been really had credit extended to them. And, you know, we so we got into this long discussion, and he said, well, you know, Dad, that the um, if you chart the X and Y gra- uh, graph of GDP growth over the history of the United States, it's, it's, it's at 2%. And whenever you get outside the standard deviation of the mean of that 2%, it generally comes back. And, hmm. and – and so if you do, if you chart the GDP growth of the United States over the past 200 years or so, um, it, it will trend at 2%. So, you know, and Barack, that's where, it, I mean, it's a little where it is right now. Tiny bit, yeah. You know, so if you look at under Barack Obama, um, we were at about 1% growth Here we per go. annum in, in eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, under Bush. He was coming out of a kind of. He was of a, coming out of a terrible recession. Okay, yeah. Super, okay. super rich recession. I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not here to. To apply one side no, or the I other know. of the of the of the um, of the uh, political spectrum, political spectrum, but two percent growth is is pretty standard. Yeah, and right now we're about two percent. Um, we've we saw three percent last year. Um, we've seen three percent quarters. Um, you know, people used to talk about how under Obama there was never a three percent growth. Uh, yearly under Obama in eight years, mm. uh, where Trump did that, I think, in his second year. Yeah. Um, but it's very rare we have 5% growth, 4% growth, just simply because the size of the economy is so large. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a $22, 23000000000000 trillion economy. You grow up 5%, that's, that's, uh, that's assume, smoking. Yeah, and I mean, we had um, a really good guest a couple of weeks ago, uh, DeFranco, Mr. Mm-hmm. DeFranco, um, is it Dr. DeFranco? Yeah, Dr. Yeah. DeFranco. So he was talking about, and this is a good point, is, you know, the the global GDP, right, mm-hmm. or right. the global um, percentage of the economy that we own has shrunk sig- significantly in the last 30 years. You know, you know, it was down to 19%, the global percent that we own, and that China is really our only, you know, is our competitor. Is our, yeah, and I mean, so that – you know, you might be tuning in and you're listening to the housing hour here, you know, right here in Knoxville is where we're based out of. But today's economy is so global, Tom, like things that happened in China with the coronavirus, for instance, could affect the geopolitical scene. Let's talk about the coronavirus. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yes. It's in Wuhan, mm-hmm. China. Mm-hmm. The largest biochemical lab is in Wuhan, China. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, coronavirus um, was supposedly started by people in wet markets when wet markets right. are markets that Chinese go to to buy their meat. 
Mm-hmm. They're cats they're, and yeah. There's all kinds of different no animals there. Bats, cats, cats yeah. rats. You know, you name it, mm-hmm. they sell it. Mm-hmm. There's only one problem with that theory. When they when they uh, went out and and looked at the coronavirus, it actually had an HIV component to it. Mm-hmm. And there's no let's way, fact check this, Mark, if you don't and, mind. And there's no way that an HIV component item can get it naturally get into. A virus like that. So this is a terrorist attack. No, I think what what basically happened was probably it. You have building block viruses that these military grade building block viruses. You you have military grade viruses mm-hmm. that they use for biochemical warfare, and it it could be. I'm not saying this is what happened. It could be that one of the workers in one of these labs got infected with a building block virus which is the coronavirus that mm-hmm. they were using and accidentally left the building and infected people yeah um and that's why the chinese really have tamped down on this but well or have they because i think there are some reports that they've underreported it and that that's causing there to be fear. The Chinese government is saying that the U.S. is trying to cause there to be a, a, a fear factor there, but th- because there there is no definitive well, knowledge. The, they say there's ten thousand right. cases, three hundred dead. That, that's probably changed. But well, see, with a virus, you have two things: you have mortality rate, and then you have uh, infection rate, mm-hmm. and and some would say you have incubation period. Mm-hmm. So for a Military grade virus, you know, you want a you want a mortality rate that's really high. Okay, right. well, that's not what this is. You, the mortality rate in this is about what one percent, two percent. So it's really you know historically low for something like that. Right. You mean in terms of the death compared to the cases? Right. Right. Yeah, so, I would say that's true. So, so you know, this is not a military grade um, virus. This mm-hmm. is not a biochemical weapon. Um, But in order for a a virus really to go, it has to have a long incubation period because that way, and people have to be able to to transmit that virus during that incubation period. Yeah. So. Well, my question about the whole coronavirus is back around, you know, four or five years ago, maybe no longer than that, when SARS became. SARS SARS is a type of coronavirus. So there was this international appeal to you know, do better with reporting and, um, you know, communication, you know, like for instance, right now we have a czar that was created by president Trump and on that, on that committee or whatever are the leading experts on, you know, disease control and so forth. So what we did is try to be proactive as a, as a government. And we'll talk more about that actually, because I want to get into it a little bit. And then we want to step into the global, you know, really the global geopolitical scene. And then right here in the United States, we've got something that's really happening as we speak and how that affects home values. It's going to be important to understand that if you're a homeowner or if you're out looking for a home, be on the lookout for this next segment. It's going to be real important. Right back. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. Again, it's Kevin Ray, Mark Griffith, executive producer and co-host, and Tom White, uh, all here sitting on our our panel of in, of information that we're providing you, and we're talking about a lot of things. We've actually covered about seven 
different um, issues in the first segment, but we landed on these geopolitical uh, types of events. And the coronavirus is a very big event that has happened and, of course, spooked the market a little bit. And there was a little bit of, um, you know, sell-off last week, and then it, it, it rallied. And uh, I, I was surprised that Apple didn't sell off more than it did, and there was some of that. Um, but then it, it has since, um, you know, pick back up. And, um, I mean, how could you not with the numbers that they're showing? I mean, it's unbelievable. So, cause China, China is where they make the iPhone or a lot of the components of it, you know? Um, so I certainly thought, you know, that that could have been a bigger issue and, and it could, still could be, um, Tom, I was, uh, on leaving and I went to, out of the country, as you all know, and I was, um, watching some documentaries on the plane and, uh, you know, probably not a great one to watch as I'm flying, but I did watch one on, you know, uh, oh, snakes pan- on the plane? no pandemics, pandemics, because the point was that pandemics, what they can do is they can cause, um, economic turmoil. They can obviously cause, um, chaos within a country or within a region or within the world. And you look back over time in the 1800s, or I believe I'm, I may be completely off. We, we lost a lot of people to a pandemic, right? Yeah. So because of this, yeah, go ahead. The difference today with, you know, those types of events, um, the multiple reasons, healthcare is much better, right? Access to healthcare is much better. Um, intervention is much better. Um, the drugs we have are much better. Um, so, you know, plus hygiene's much better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a long time ago, people didn't even realize there was this thing called a germ. Mm. So, um, the chances of a, an event like that are very small, Mm -hmm. but they do exist. Um, you know, the biggest problem would be if the folks in the stock market worldwide would see this as a, um, catastrophic catastrophic event that mm-hmm. would gonna that's gonna last a long time right and what that would do it's to, all about hedging bets right and that <laughs> and what that would do to interest rates mm-hmm. and you know then people start to pull back and not spend money interest rates rise or interest rates fall you know so you have an interest rate event and then you have um, an event where people start to go, hmm, do I need to buy that property right now? I think maybe I'll wait. Let's see if we can listen in. Judge Roberts is making some comments on the on the Senate floor. We're going to go to that in just a minute. I've been told by my producer that uh, it will be in just a moment. So just stand by. We may have some comments from the Chief Justice, the impeachment trial that currently being voted upon. We want to get his, uh, his comments in just a moment. Sorry, go ahead. So... You know, geopolitical events mm-hmm. affect markets. They affect values. They affect real estate values. Um, you know, one of the bigger events in the last month was Soleimani when he was um, killed by President Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, which which was a positive in terms of safety and overall, not just safety, but an, uh, for overall uh, comfort for those in the Middle East because he was causing in the eyes of our government, a lot of problems amongst those countries. But it would, could have been a big negative. What would have happened if um, True. Iran would have really hit back and then we would have had to hit back and then it escalated into a regional war? Mm. You know, so that that could um, affect um, values. Yeah, that's a good point too. Um, but, you know, the biggest driver 
of uh, real estate is, I've always said, um, is the employment numbers. Uh-huh. You know, when people are employed, they spend money. When they're not employed, they don't spend money. <laughs> Pretty simple. It's, you know, real simple. And how have those been looking? Uh, very strong. Uh-huh. Um, projections are for the next two to three years, we're going to have GDP growth in the 2 to 3% range. Um, and some have said four, you know, we might get a year with four with the, um, here's, you know, getting back to the geopolitical events, um, you have president Trump and the United States, um, signing trade deals with China, with Mexico and Canada with, with the new USMCA. You have, um, I noticed Nancy Pelosi didn't think that was a great, great deal based well, upon her, her response last night. She, I, I well, I'm not going to go down that road. Um, the, the, by the way, Republican senators are clapping live here on the Senate floor. So apparently Trump has, has survived this, this yes. second. Well, that was a foregone conclusion. That's I another know. geopolitical event. <clears throat> Let's, you know, the other things we're talking about, we're going to have a new trade deal with, with, um, with England. Um, mm-hmm. We got a new trade deal with South, uh, South Korea. We got a trade deal with uh, Japan. These things are going to really pump up our GDP because they are opening markets that we have never had open in the history of our country. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to be able to sell rice to China. You know, we're going to be able to sell uh, meat to China. We're going to be able to sell meat to Japan. Um, so there's a lot of things that are coalescing. Uh, that are real positive for employment numbers. And Trump, you know, in fairness, Trump has been talking about the NAFTA agreement being not a good agreement for for a a long time. This isn't new to him in terms of his disdain for it. So, you know, if can you tell people why that was not a good deal? I mean, I I don't know that I could articulate it. You know, either way, I think somebody once said, did you hear that huge sucking noise? Mm -hmm. Um, And that would be. Uh, all the jobs moving out of the United States. And, and I think that was Ross Perot. And, and he was very, very prophetic mm-hmm. when he said oh, that. Oh, yeah. Because we lost millions and millions and millions of mid-level manufacturing jobs. Um, number one, when we signed NAFTA. And number two, when we let uh, China into the, um, in a world, um, uh, into the world trading uh, group that, that they got status, um, that they could um, produce these goods and ship them out of their country. And I mean, we outsourcing has become the thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just as an example, Apple love them to death, but they aren't making Apple phones in Harriman, Tennessee. All right. No. So the reason being is because they've got a, they their stockholders expect a certain margin, right? And 40, Forty to fifty percent. Exactly. So there's not any possible way currently based upon the the setup and you know that is a sad state too tom and, and mark i'd love to hear both of y'all's because you know back if you recall when saturn launched their car and everybody was excited about hey we're, we've got this plant and wherever it was in tennessee i mean so there are certain products that have broke in but electronics and things of that nature you know our workers need to make too much yeah. money is that i mean Cost of living or what? Yeah, let me give you an example. Under under the old NAFTA deal, um, China could get away and Mexico could get away without paying tariffs to the United States, whereas China could build 99% of the car, mm-hmm. 
ship it to Mexico. Mexico put 1% of their product in it and then send it into the United States tariff-free because it was not 100% made in China. Uh. So what Trump did when they renegotiated uh, USMCA, and this is one of the reasons China came to the floor, came, came to the, came to the uh, bargaining table and said, okay, we're going to sign, is because they cut China off at the knees. They couldn't do that anymore. Now if China sends 30% of their parts to Mexico and Mexico does 50%, it goes down as 30% China, 50% Mexico. Mm, and, it's more equitable. And 20% and, yeah. U.S. So when it comes in the United States, it has to have a certain ratio of parts. So it, it's not where they can game the deal. That makes actual sense. Because there's been, again, back to our current president, his platform has always been, and this is what he ran on, and that was, look, you know, the countries that we are doing deals with our trade deals, we're not getting a fair shake. And what do you define as fair, right? So sure. his definition of fair was truly it's equitable for both parties. And, and through his prism, and, and, and I have to agree in a lot of ways, this is one of the things I definitely fall on the side of the president. Um, and I think Obama would probably share some of these same tenets, but the bottom line was China was getting a better deal. Right. China was getting a huge deal, right. a, a much better deal, um, and they took uh, advantage of it. Uh-huh. Um, I think President La- uh, the other night in the State of the Union said, you know, hey, China couldn't believe that we were letting them get away with murder for all these years. Uh-huh. And, and, he did say and, that, And basically he? we were. That was kind of funny. Um, but getting into back into the geopolitics, what happens if, let's say, um, the Democrats nominate Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren as their nominee. Yeah, he went out of his way to say socialism isn't going to make its way back into. Well, the first thing you would see is you would see Wall Street. Let's let's just say Bernie Sanders is nominated as as the, as Democrat. Mm-hmm. The first thing you would see is Wall Street would come out and say we're not donating any money to the DNC. Right. Okay. So, if Bernie was up in the polls. Uh, in let's say October, we or don't September. even know what the polls are because the computers don't, don't work. Yeah, yeah, well, the app doesn't work. Yeah. And um, if Bernie was up in the polls in September and was looked like he might get elected, you would see a thirty percent sell off on the stock market. You hear it. You heard it here first, folks. Tom White saying thirty percent sell off if Bernie Sanders is the nominee. I'm kidding. We'll be right back, guys. Stick with us right after these messages. We'll be right back. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host, as well as Tom White. We're talking about all things related to housing, politics, geopolitical things. We're talking about the coronavirus. We're talking about the impeachment, all of which are external events that can affect not just home prices, but also looking at what's happening in our economy in terms of just what stocks are worth. And, you know, it's a whole host of different things that these type of events um, can actually affect, Uh, you know, and Tom, for the listeners, and and you have to, I don't know if there's something on an appraisal report that says, you know, I know that there is something, is there an adverse adverse? economic impact or is there is there a declining economic what is the thing on the Fannie Mae um 1004 well there there's a uh, there's a segment that we have to uh look at that is uh, related to the market um Mm -hmm. 
whether there is exposure time, um, uh, how many properties are on the market, um, how many properties have sold in a certain period of time. So um, we do look at um, forecasting models that project appreciation yeah. in the Cause, market. Because you were talking offline between segments about, you know, there was a geopolitical, you know, event that that really triggered something back in 2008. So talk a little bit about that first, because um, I bet you when you were doing appraisals, the values were the values were going down before I, you could I, even deliver it. I mean, I, literally, I could see it coming simply because um, back in 2006, 2005, home prices had gone up so fast, so, you know, so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of external factors, but one of the biggest was uh, subprime mortgages. Mm-hmm. And Wall Street pushed the subprime mortgage market to be even bigger than what it was naturally going to be. Mm-hmm. And they were selling these derivatives and trading on the der- derivatives and they're actually selling them and betting against them at the same time. <laughs> so, you know, welcome you, to America. Yeah. Welcome to America. So in other words, I'm the credit selling you default swaps and then I'm betting that you won't be able to pay for what I just sold you. Right. So this created an event in the market that, that caused the meltdown um, of the entire real estate market. Mm-hmm. Um, it caused, uh, we talked about credit before. We talked about the ability to get credit. Just think if our entire society went to cash and you could not buy anything unless you paid cash for it. Now, what effect would that have on GDP? What it effect would, would that have on yeah. markets? Bottom out. Yeah. You would see overnight, you'd see a 30% retraction in values across yeah. the board. And you can just so you guys know, you I will actually post the link to the liquidity factor because I meant to mention that in the first segment, uh, Mark uh, wrote a piece that is for exclusive housing hour content that spoke to the the way that money has evolved let's in terms talk, of yeah. Yeah, let's talk about he velocity. Knows a lot about that. Velocity of money. Okay. Velocity of money is very important. Velocity of money is how fast does a dollar change hands. Mm-hmm. So the faster it changes hands, the more GDP growth you're going to have. Hmm. So if I take a dollar out of my pocket and I give it to Mark for a, a hot dog, mm-hmm. and then Mark turns around and takes that dollar and, and pays you for the mustard and ketchup he's using to put on my hot dog, and then you turn around and you pay the farmer that dollar to produce those tomatoes, mm-hmm. and then that farmer turns around and pays uh, agricultural people to pick those tomatoes and to buy the fertilizer. Mm-hmm. So – so that, and the tractor down and the it. tractor, mm-hmm. you know, all of that is integrated into into how fast. But the the biggest key is how fast that dollar moves, mm-hmm. not whether it just moves, but how fast does it move? Mm-hmm. And the faster that dollar moves, the greater the economy is going to grow. The faster it's going to grow because the velocity of that dollar moving through the economy is going to be taxed and it's going to be used and it's going to grow the GDP and it's going to create jobs. Now there's there's been a lot of people from 2008 to today debate this whole idea of trickle down economies, um, trickle down economics. Econ- economics compared to, you know, trickle up economics, whatever you want to call it. But there's been, you know, there's been many, I guess, administrations that have had different philosophies and different philosophies throughout time. If you look at the economic impact of certain tax cuts, for instance, in the Reagan era that really, you know, m- catapulted, 
the economy. A rising tide lifts all boats. Right. That's, so, that is one of the oldest cliches, but it's so true. Mm-hmm. It is so, so true. And the same same goes into effect. You know, people like to besmirch millionaires and billionaires. Oh, these guys are horrible. But if you look at it, the amount of taxes they actually pay, you know, the top 5% um, tax, the top 5% wealth and income generators pay, I think, 75% of the taxes in the United States. So, you know, they are paying their fair share. But they're also spending money. They're spending money. They're they're hiring people. You know, they're creating wealth. They're creating jobs. They're doing things. You know, people say greed is bad. I say greed is good mm-hmm. because greed is the capitalist society's greatest generator of income. You know, if if I don't have a if I don't have a a profit motive to go buy the house and flip it, then I'm not employing the guy that makes the refrigerator or the guy that makes the flooring or the guy that's going to come in and paint the house or the guy that's going to or the girl that's going to come in and decorate it or the girl's going to come in and do the plumbing or the girl's going to come in and do the electrical. So, you know, he's expecting a return on his investment. Mm-hmm. And that's and that quote is greed. Right. But that greed Mark Mark wants to challenge you. Yeah. No, no, I, I totally agree. But going back to 2008 bust, mm-hmm. they blamed, media blamed the, uh, the what happened on greed. It, it, yes, mm-hmm. I think there's, I think there is a uh, correlation. Uh, I think there is a correlation of greed, a certain type of greed. Okay, look, people say capitalism has no has no rules. Well, that's not true. Capitalism has rules. We have rules in this country. Mm -hmm. The problem with what happened in 2008 was that the um, electronic trading and what they were doing on Wall Street superseded any law that they could have even fathomed. Mm -hmm. So these guys were doing things that Wall Street, the SEC, didn't really even have rules for. Right. If and you see the the big short, for instance, the big short, it, play, it plays that out in the book. Absolutely. Right. So that guy who sat behind the desk is fidgety or whatever. He was kind of that guy that saw into the future in terms of he was shorting the market because essentially he said this. They're telling me these are a paper loans mm-hmm. and this pool of loans are a paper. But I can clearly see that they're including a whole bunch of other things that are not going to perform based upon just common sense in a lot of ways. And that's why he shorted the market and he brought all of his people with him that came kicking and screaming, you know. But the bottom line was is that what they were playing out for you was that confidence was immediately shattered when it was realized that the home values are going to go down because guess what? The people who we thought were going to pay weren't paying because why? Because what we did as a society, not us as a society, but as an industry, we sat sort of back and allowed for these you know, pools of loan to be sold to the Bear Sturms, to these big companies. And we, as a mortgage City company, Mike. yeah, we couldn't have known. I mean, we didn't do that. That's just it. Like we weren't doing that, but it's that 80, 20 rule, you know, 80% of the people were, were fine. And that 20% were not fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that that's to put a little, a little context because it all, not all lenders, but lenders took a big hit in 2008 and it, it made us really seem like we were, Oh, ever, you know, is they have a pulse? Can they fog up a mirror? All those jokes that we made. And how do you, you know, they all, everybody said, how do you get a loan officer off, off the front porch? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm asking you that. How do you get a loan officer off your front porch? Shoot them. No, you pay, you pay for your pizza. <laughs> so that was the joke that was going around, you know, and I was a loan officer. Um, and he's kidding about the shooting. Uh, but you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like the lawyer that said, uh, man, you plumbers are expensive. And the plumber says, well, I used to be a lawyer. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, talking about the 2007, 2008 debacle, um, I remember watching on CNBC, um, this person came in and said, you know, we, we have a housing market here. Is that's that when you're a hot. Democrat? No, <laughs> I don't think so. But that we have a housing market here that's, you know, really hot. And, mm-hmm. and here it is. And it's five times the standard deviation uh, because what he was doing is correlating um, uh, income to housing costs. Mm-hmm. And he said, here's the, here's the standard deviation of income to housing costs. And it was like the housing costs was uh, oscillating around the uh, income. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we got to 2006 and it went boing and the housing costs went way up. Mm-hmm. So it was five times the standard deviation. And he said, so when prices crash and the, I remember the lady at the, uh, on CMC, she said, what do you mean? If, if prices, cr-? he said, no, when prices, he said, because either people are going to have to start making a lot more money or housing prices are going to have to come down mm. for it to get back to standard mean. Mm. So, you know, there's indicators out there that people can look at that say, wow, man, something's coming down the pike and maybe I need to be a little more cognizant mm. of what might happen in the real estate market. Uh, you nailed it. That was very good. We might even snip that out and put it as a preview. Guys, stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back into the housing hour. Again, this is Kevin Ray. I'm here with Mark Griffith, the executive producer and co-host, Tom White, appraiser extraordinaire. Um, Are you on any associations or any kind of boards that are related to appraisals? I would think you'd be good at that. Or do you have too strong of opinions? A little of both, but but I'm really not. do you I guys have to be, do you have to go through continuing education? Or we anything? do. We have to take uh, 28 hours every two years, um, of which seven hours has to be sensitive, um, ethics. Sensitivity training. I don't think kidding. there's too many sensitive appraisers. <laughs> if, if you're if yeah. you're sensitive and you're an appraiser, you're in the wrong what's field. The, what's the craziest scene that you've ever walked up on in a home that you've appraised? A lady answered the door naked one day. Wow. Was it her birthday? <laughs> I don't know, but she was 75 and she was Chinese and... and <laughs> I just, you know, I was like, really? Wow. I, I mean, it's August. It's like 95. She's got the windows up and the, uh-huh. and the, and the, and I was like. Was it a cultural thing, do you think, maybe? Or it was no, just I think hot. it's probably dementia, maybe. Uh-huh. Oh, she was okay. just nuts. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've heard that one before. You told us that one one time about well, 10 years ago or something. Yeah. That's a good one. But what's another one? I think I had t- a, I had a blind lady open, mm-hmm. um, um, answer the door one time. It didn't go too well. Um, it was real early in the morning and she put her clothes on wrong. Oh no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel it. I really felt bad for, um, yeah. it so was, bad it that was, you, it you was announced it on live radio. That's why well, she was okay. also really old. And my wife, right. I go home and tell my wife these stories and she goes, why can't it be like some 25 year old hottie? And I yeah. said, 
you know, I don't know. Because he's not going to tell you about those. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> My wife looks like a 25-year-old hottie, so, yeah. I, I, you know. I, well, she is 25. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Um, well, why, so, go go ahead. I, I, I was going to say, why stories. go out for hamburger when you got steak at home? Exactly, that's right. You know, something that Andy Reid said, this is changing subjects just for a second, but he, Super Bowl, he was, you know, talking about, um, he was asked, you know, whether you're going to stay up all night and, you know, just hold the trophy or whatever. He said, nope. As a matter of fact, I'm going home to my trophy wife. That's right. I thought that was awesome. Um, yeah. Not something you'd probably hear from a lot of people in that industry, but I thought that's, that was pretty that's cool. That's true. Um, and that's, that's relatable, I think, across Republicans or Democrats, you know? Um, so, because we're all about trying to bring, you know, people together. <clears throat> and that's what I hear Tom saying. Yeah. And, and getting, getting back to the geopolitical events. Yeah, let's do that. um, You know, I think people need to pay attention. I think, yeah, I think people need to pay more attention. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like if you ever go to a seminar where a a guy's talking about terrorism and he says, you have to be, you have to be uh, situationally aware. Mm. Okay. And I think that applies to the real estate business too. You have to be situationally aware and know um, when you are either going to sell or buy a home. Okay. And a lot of people will say, wow, my home's gone up 20% in value. I have a lot more money to spend. No, or actually you have the exact amount of money still to spend, but you just don't realize it because the margin hasn't changed. Right. So, you know, in order for you to get more money to buy the next product, you, you actually have to stretch that margin. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have, you, and you're not going to be able to time the market. So, you know, the thing about geopolitical events is a lot of times you can see them coming down the pike, uh, especially if it's, if it's uh, employment or if it's um, politically um, here in the United States, if, if a party is changing, maybe you got um, like we talked about before, where if a, you know, a, a socialist gets um, nominated by the Democrats and, and wall street goes you know, Wall Street's already come out and said if Elizabeth Warren gets nominated by the Democrats, they're not giving money to the DNC. Mm-hmm. I thought that know? was Bernie Sanders. Well, they said it on, on I think, both of them. Probably, yeah. They're both, I mean, they're I think both, Bernie's definitely saying he's straight up, he's socialist. So Socialism is his. But, but Elizabeth Warren wants to, I mean, you know, she's pretty radical when it comes to a lot of these big corporations. Mm-hmm. Okay. But um, she did try to hide after she got that jet. Did y'all see that yeah, video? Yeah, I did see that. That was funny. That was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> she um, tried because I've done that before too. But the camera, she tried to stay right in line yeah. with that other person. Anyway, but you know, if um, let's say if let's say Joe Biden, let's say mm-hmm. if Joe Biden gets nominated, and you got Trump and Biden running against each other, well, Joe Joe Biden's not going to have radical policies. I mean, right. he's pretty mainstream he's a safe, guy. He's, the safer, he's a safe choice, yeah. and. And so, if he were to get elected, yeah, you might have a little bit of sell-off, but you wouldn't see a dramatic effect. The, Deep State would be thrilled because yeah, the, he's just yes, business as they usual. Would, they would, they would love it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people would really like it. The Wall Street would like it um, because they know that he's going to go along to get along. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. so he, he, you wouldn't see much difference there. Right. But, but that's it, a, like in, from a geopolitical standpoint, that's not going to cause many ripples, right? No, if if uh, let, let's take Bloomberg, if Bloomberg got nominated, mm-hmm. and it was Bloomberg or Trump, 
Wall Street wouldn't care one way or the other. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, now Bloomberg want to take your guns and he'd want to keep your uh, tax sodas. Diet Cokes. Yeah, he'd want to tax your Coca Colas. He yeah. wouldn't let you drink. But, you know, as far as real estate goes, it wouldn't have a huge effect. Right. Um, in a, so I always go back to employment. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the better the employment numbers, the um, better real estate's going to be. Mm-hmm. Because people are making money. And because people are making of money. Of course, the thing that a mortgage company, the number one thing that requires qualification for a loan is you have to, you have an expense that you, the debt that you create, which is the mortgage, you got to be able to pay for that debt. Yeah. And when people feel like they have a stable job and their growth potential within the company and they are, their incomes are rising, then they have that, that desire to want to go out and, you know, make a, a life for themselves beyond where they currently are. They, you know, which is capitalism in a lot of ways. Let's, let's take the Smoky Mountains mm-hmm. and let's take uh, rental cabins in the Smoky Mountains. Mm-hmm. Okay, so four years ago, you couldn't give them away. Today, Mm -hmm. they're hotter than a pancake. Mm -hmm. However, I I mean, I've seen the the same cabin flip three times in the last year and a half and go from 350 to 450 to 550 in three years. Wow. Okay, now there's a problem with that. They have an indoor pool or anything? Yeah, they had indoor. You know, there's a problem with that, though. Yeah. And the, the margin didn't change. The margin didn't change, but the biggest problem is the rental rates that mm. owner, that tenant occupants are paying nightly have not tripled. Right. They may okay. have went up because they, they may, may have, have gone, gone up a little bit or whatever. Right. They may have gone up a little bit. Yeah. But when you take in the mortgage or opportunity cost, whichever one you have. Yeah. Because that's another 1200 bucks on your payment just in interest. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. And then, and then you have insurance costs, you have homeowners costs, and you have utilities costs, and you, you know, you yeah. add all this stuff up. People are not doing that to um, go stay in them once a year. They're doing it to make money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, when you Can start. Can you stay in them once a year and have a rental cabin? It'd be sure. considered a. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I owned one at one time. Um, and was this family make cool with that? Yes. Oh, okay. And you can block off, you can block off, we could block off four weeks a year and still mm-hmm. stay with the same rental company. I never use four weeks, mm-hmm. you know, but. Um, what you see is when you start to see froth in mm. the market. Mm. Ooh, froth. I love it. Okay. When you start uh, to see froth in the market, um, y- you know, you're about to hit the top. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, we're at frothy time. Or I no? think we're at frothy time okay. in Sevier County. So Sevier County has a little froth. Now we're, you know, we're not saying anything's going to, you know, die tomorrow. No, but, no, but you're not going to see 30% appreciation rates that right. you saw. You might see, Two percent, three percent, but you're not going to see a six hundred thousand dollar cabin sell next six months from now for eight hundred thousand. That's right. just not going to happen. What, what about it? what about Nashville? I mean, you, are you familiar with that market? But that, goes, that, that goes back. He's, yeah. he's familiar with every market. That goes <laughs> that goes back that goes back to supply and demand, and that goes back to employment. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I just did an appraisal for a lady the other day who's they were borrowing money from MIG. Mm-hmm. to help their son put down money on a house in Nashville mm-hmm. because this thousand square foot house was $375,000. Mm. And, you know, it was a great location, yada, 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 you know, but it was expensive and they couldn't, this first time employed person couldn't afford it. So mom and dad are taking 50,000 out of their house and they're putting down in this house to help this person buy this home. Mm. Now, um, 
is this home going to appreciate at 10%, 20%, 30%? Who knows? All right. But Give the, me 3% and I'm happy. Yeah. But I guarantee you it'll go 3%. Right. Okay. Well, our global economist was saying 6%. Okay. So, you know, the, the thing about, you know, real estate is the more the merrier. Mm-hmm. The more people in the market, the merrier it's going to be. So, you know, a lot of people say immigration is bad. I love immigration. I don't want illegal immigration. I want to know who's in our country. Mm-hmm. But I personally think we should let 5 million people a year in the, in the country, okay? Figure out who they are, know who they are, make sure they can pay their own way, but let them in. We have so much open space in this country. We could, we could assimilate easily 5 million people a year. And we could start competing with China on our on our uh, growth rates. I agree. I'm all with you on that because the bottom line is we've got an economy that's growing, but we also have want to cap that to where we're not going to overinflate the market because we don't want another bubble. You know, that's really the key thing here. Gosh, I don't it, think I don't. We got ten seconds left in the segment. You can't say anything else, but we are going to have an after hours today. So we want you guys to stick around for that. Come back in just a few minutes. We're going to have after hours right here on the Housing Hour. That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know. So come here to find out. Also check us out at thehousinghour.com. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.